0: Now, more tips with your host, Rebecca Rogers.
1: Remember that in our program, we present our opinion and the opinion of our guest, and is not to be interpreted as medical advice.
0: And now, here is our host, Rebecca Rogers.
1: Hello and welcome to our program, Lifestyle Improvement. This is your host, Rebecca. Today we have with us, Dr. Melanie Greenberg. Dr. Greenberg was born in South Africa and experienced living without freedom of speech during the last years of the apartheid era. This made her an advocate to help empower people with the capacity for self-expression. Dr. Greenberg graduated with a doctorate in clinical psychology from Stony Brook University and a postdoctoral research fellowship in Health Psychology from City University of New York. She worked for more than a decade as a professor in the Clinical Health Psychological Doctoral Program at Alliant University in San Diego, California. She has published more than 50 research articles in journals like the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology and has been a prominent speaker in many conferences. She has written chapters in books like Positive Psychology, Handbook of Health Psychology, and The Writing Cure. She currently writes for Psychology Today and has a blog titled Mindful Self-express. She has also been named the most prominent psychologist to be followed in Twitter. This was done by the British Psychological Society with almost 50,000 Twitter followers. Her first book is titled The Stress-Proof Brain. This book offers comprehensive tools based in mindfulness, neuroscience, and positive psychology to help readers put a stop to unhealthy responses to stress and empower the reader with strategies to master their emotional responses and create a more stress-tolerant brain. Thanks so much for joining us today, Dr. Greenberg. We really appreciate the gift of your time. We know you're a very busy lady.
2: Oh, you're welcome. I'm, I'm happy to be here.
1: Now, I just wanted to know the recipe of how you get 50,000 Twitter followers.
2: <laughs> a lot of tweeting.
1: <laughs> a lot of tweeting. <laughs> I, I guess that would definitely be part of it. Well, thank you. Okay. Your book is exciting. You touch on so many subjects in this book and you give really a lot of practical advice that the readers can use immediately. Some of the issues that I found to be very relevant for this population of caregivers here that are Mm -hmm. listening to our program, being a caregiver as a parent or a spouse or a child is extremely stress inducing. Mm -hmm. In your book, you make a very bold statement. You say that you can change your brain. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, a lot of people would hear that and and truly may not understand what you mean because this information, even though it's out there now, there are still Mm -hmm. some people that don't quite know or believe that that's possible. So please tell us, to get started here, what do you mean when you tell the reader you can change your brain?
2: So... I'm referring to neuroplasticity, which means that even adult brains are not absolutely fixed and set in stone. And we can wire in new habits and new ways of thinking with repeated practice. So our brains are able to change in response to experience. And that can be good or bad. It kind of depends what what the experiences are. So, you know, that's, for example, why early trauma can affect the brain and, and you can't regulate emotions as well. But the brain can also change in positive ways. For example, they had, did studies of London taxi drivers who were riding the taxi exam. And it's a huge you know, amount of studying and memorizing all the streets in London. And they put them under brain scanners and they actually found changes in the brain in areas to do with spatial ability. And they've also found by practicing mindfulness meditation, and this is over long periods and you know, eight weeks, five days a week, meditating for half an hour. They found changes in areas of the brain to do with focus, attention, empathy. So there's real hard data out there that you can change your brain.
1: It's fantastic. And, and also, if I remember correctly, when they have done those studies showing the brain uh, when it's doing meditation, it seems to be related to those areas of the brain that are more connected to executive function and those types of more high functioning activities of the brain, correct? Yeah,
2: you know there's a lot of that. so it's in the in the prefrontal cortex of the frontal lobes, which are to do with executive functioning, but they also do find differences in emotion regulation areas and in the amygdala, which is kind of the key to our brain stress response. So it's kind of like you can make your amygdala not quite as reactive and you can increase how much your executive functioning can be used to quiet down your amygdala.
1: Just to kind of paraphrase you, a little bit of what you said, most of us cannot avoid that there are situations around us that are stressful to us, but mm-hmm. we can do things that because the brain has the capacity to change because of neuroplasticity, like you just spoke about. We can do things to help ourselves in that area, correct? We can.
2: And the only thing to keep in mind is that it takes repeated practice of new habits. You can't just like do it once or twice and think, oh, my brain's going to change now. Um, you know, it takes a lot of practice. But if you can just change the way that you, your outlook or the way that you deal with stress, it can get wired into your brain over time.
1: It takes a lot of practice. And it also isn't immediate. It takes a, a yeah. while, too, as well, correct?
2: Yeah, so the brain actually changes in two stages. Um, the first stage is just that the neurons start firing a little differently, but the structure of the brain is still the same. The second stage, you know, which takes longer, is that the neurons actually conne- start connecting with each other in new ways, or even we can grow new neuro- brain neurons or nerve cells in the hippocampus, which is our memory center. And so there are two stages. The first stage, you know, is more like a temporary change. But the the second stage is a more permanent change. So, yeah, you do have to stick with it to get permanent change.
1: To get it to actually stick. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Fantastic. So now we know that the brain has the capacity to change because of neuroplasticity. But a lot of people... Some people, especially caregivers who are constantly ready and willing to give and have sometimes mm-hmm. difficulties thinking about their own personal needs, sure. may wonder, Oh, I don't think I'm under stress. It's just this is difficult, but my brain is not stressed. So, why don't you define for us what is a brain under stress? How would a brain under stress act or look like uh, so that our listeners can get an idea of what? You know, what would that feel like if, if my brain was stressed mm-hmm. out, if you may?
2: <laughs> so a stressed out brain feels a, under threat. You know, there's a threat of something bad happening. Is It is one, one way of thinking about stress. Another way of thinking about stress is that there's a chronic situation that's difficult. You know, that's taxing your abilities. It's demanding. That would be caregiving, for example. Uh, and one of perhaps what you don't have... All the control, you know, there can be an element of uncontrollability to it. And then it's also to do, I think, with, you know, how the demands um, compare to your resources. So it's feeling maybe that you don't have the resources to meet new demands, or you don't have the resources internally or externally to keep going over the long haul with such a difficult situation. All of that would cause your brain to feel stressed out.
1: So it sounds like a lot of external. Sensory input, is that correct?
2: Yeah, those are the stresses, but you can also, it's also internal. It's the way that you perceive the situation. Mm-hmm. So, research shows that perceived stress can affect health just as much as regular stress. It has an independent effect. So, that's what's good in that if you can start to perceive your abilities as being better or perceive the situation as being less threatening. You will reduce your brain and body's level of overall stress.
1: So, that is a brain under stress. And it gives us an idea that, like you said, is not just the external causes, but the way you perceive the stress. Different situations are interpreted differently by different people. So, Mm -hmm. what can be quote unquote stressful for somebody may not be quote unquote stressful for another person. So, sometimes there is a lot of self discovery that has to happen when we're going through this process, correct?
2: Correct. Stress gives us the potential to grow. So to grow our coping strategies or, you know, to grow as a human being, to find new meaning, to stretch ourselves and therefore develop more confidence in ourselves, to learn what we can tolerate that we didn't think we could tolerate before. So those are all positive potential of stress.
1: Do you find yourself trying to help people do more exploratory work trying to find out what are those circumstances that may translate or may be interpreted as stressful individually because like I said there are generalized things we all know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as you know be stressful like a lion approaching you correct <laughs> and I assume that that's, <laughs> that's, that's pretty a, stressful a, yeah <laughs> it could be stressful but again It could be very stressful for one person to be in a place that is extremely loud, and for another person, that could be actually quite soothing in an interesting way. They may like noise. So (laughs) do you find yourself helping people to discover, to do exploration, to find out sensory information that is translated differently for them? This is your host, Rebecca. And now we will take a short break, and we will be right back with more ideas on lifestyle improvement. What if there was a way to help your struggling child perform better academically? Would you pick up the phone and call? Lifestyle Improvement Occupational Therapy Services in Puyallup, Washington, supports wellness and optimal educational performance. Instead of just reteaching information, we endeavor to identify the possible root causes for your child's learning difficulties. We offer targeted testing to assist in the creation of an individualized plan and provide you with the brain training tools that can help improve academic performance. Visit our website at www.lifecell. Improvement.com or give us a call today at 877-957-7387 extension 101. That again is 877-957-7387 extension 101 for an initial free phone consultation. Lifestyle Improvement Occupational Therapy. We're ready to partner with parents and to help your child succeed.
0: As a caregiver, you spend your days caring for the needs of someone else. But what are you doing to help yourself? In our Caregiver Survival 101 workshop, we teach you the self-help skills that will empower you to be healthier and more productive. Do you feel tired, overwhelmed, have difficulty sleeping, do you feel isolated? All this could be signs of caregiver stress. Chronic stress can impact your health adversely and ultimately cause irreversible and unwanted physical problems. Take a step towards your own personal care. A healthy caregiver is a better caregiver. You owe it to yourself and your loved ones to do what is needed to stay healthy today go to www.caregiversurvival101.com that again is www.caregiversurvival101.com or call eight seven seven nine five seven seven three eight seven 957 7387 extension 101 that again is 877-957-7387 extension 101 and discover how we can help you help yourself Caregiver Survival 101, because care starts with you.
1: Do you find yourself helping people to discover, to do exploration, to find out sensory information that is translated differently for them. I do
2: work that way with people. And I think, you know, part of dealing with stress as or dealing with any difficulties in life is learning to know yourself better, to understand yourself better, but also to accept yourself and to learn to speak up for what you need. And so those are all things that we work with in therapy. Because many times people, you know, kind of criticize themselves or or suppress themselves. Like, oh, I'm too sensitive. I should, you know, I should be able to like this loud noise. What's wrong with me? But that's not the answer. That's going to stress you out more if you're judging yourself and trying to be different. So, you know, there's a, there's a level of accepting yourself and sort of trying to find the right circumstances for you. And, and trying to cope with the circumstances you have in a way that that's good for you, that may not be good for somebody else. And it's interesting because, you know, some people worry a lot about what's going to happen. And it turns out that there's a functional side to worry and then there's, there's a dysfunctional side to worry. The functional side is actually if you can anticipate some real things that problems that might occur. And so you take action to prevent them or to deal with them or to have a coping strategy. And a, it's called defensive pessimism. You know, there's some people that are optimistic, that kind of expect everything to go right. There are others that are defensively pessimistic. They expect things to go wrong, but it's still an active strategy in that you're still you know, trying to, to deal actively with what's going wrong so that you could kind of change the course of it. Uh, that's different than just being pessimistic and passive. And so, yeah, we talk about that, you know, how it, it can be functional. You don't have to switch it off completely. But obviously, you have to evaluate how functional is my worry. And sometimes it just gets into repetitive rumination, where you're just going th- over the same things, ideas over and over, and they're kind of disturbing and create more negative feeling or judgment. And you don't necessarily find any new solutions. And that's, that's the point to just cut it off.
1: I am sure that you probably have a lot of caregivers as part of your case, caseload or as part of your practice. I, I'm sure you see caregivers mm-hmm. in your practice. Uh, I would love to hear what is some of the biggest issues, and I kind of know what they're going to be. I have a suspicion that I, I I can't imagine what those issues are going to be. But I'd love to hear what uh, what you find to be the most prevalent issue for caregivers And then you also talk very eloquently, very eloquently about stress and emotions in your book. I'm hoping that you will briefly talk to us about that subject because caregivers specifically struggle a lot with emotions like fear Mm -hmm. and anxiety and depression. And so what can you tell us about those specific areas, and what are some of the things that you advise caregivers or you advise any of your clients to do in order to address issues related to this kinds of emotion? Sure.
2: So, you know, caregiving, I, I don't know if there's one specific thing that I would say is the most stressful, but I can tell you there's a couple of things. Um, so some of my patients have elderly parents that have been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And they may be a caregiver to different degrees. Sometimes, you know, they're the person that's actually looking after the person. But a lot of times they might be the person that's checking in on the person. You're checking in on on the person with Alzheimer's, you know, arranging care for them, visiting them regularly, taking them to doctors if it's in home care and and so on. And and, uh, both are stressful. I think being there 24 hours a day is obviously the most stressful. But the other way is stressful, too, because there's a level of responsibility, there's a level of unpredictability, and, you know, the pain of seeing somebody that you love suffer and kind of be diminished and, and not be the person that they, they were. Um, and so you have to care for them, but at the same time, you're dealing with the pain of seeing them suffering. Um, that could be an Alzheimer's cancer or, you know, any Parkinson's, any number of, of things, of diseases. Often associated with aging. Or if you have a special needs child, it's I think there's a pain of like the dream of what you thought your child would be like. And grieving, grieving that, and realizing, you know, that it won't be that way. You won't, you'd have to let go of, of some of the expectations that you have, you know, uh, of your child maybe being, you know, having a very successful job or something like that. So so there's grief there, and then there's concern for your child. You know, what if they get bullied or managing other people's reactions to them? For example, if it's someone with autism um, or a physical disability. So I think it's a mixture of kind of empathy and then just the the, phys- the kind of the, the continuous demands of being a caregiver, like it doesn't end. You know, you just, it just goes on and on and on. And so there can be a kind of burnout. You know, people can start feeling very tired or start feeling depressed where you kind of you lose some of your joy in life. You you can't enjoy things as much anymore. Sometimes it's because the person's on your mind. You know, it's hard to let go of that image of the person suffering. But sometimes it's just you've got so much to do and, you know, it seems overwhelming. So it can be a lot, like you said, a lot of anxiety. Sometimes there can be a questioning, you know, like, why why did my parent have to get Alzheimer's? What, you know, they're a good person. I'm a good person. Why did this have to happen? Um, so that, you know, that can be a source of stress in itself because there isn't always a, a good answer. You know, like diseases happen and it doesn't, nothing's often to do with how good you are or not good you are. Um there's also sometimes people feel the shock, obviously, of adjusting, you know, to, if somebody gets a diagnosis of some serious illness, adjusting to a new reality, or if the illness is deteriorating, there's some illnesses, you know, people get worse over time. That's different than how we like to think of things. We like to think of things as getting better over time, as the future being better than the past. So that, that contrast is really painful and really stressful and sometimes can make people feel hopeless. So, you know, that would be a a time for maybe finding a spiritual perspective or finding like a broader way of looking at it or just, you know, trying to maybe contain it and have try to find other things in your life that, that you can move forward in that way. So that's some of the stress and some of the emotions of caregiving. Also guilt. A lot of people, even though, you know, it's not necessary many times to feel guilt people always feel like they're not doing enough or they're not caring enough. Sometimes people feel numb, you know, just from the repeated kind of exposure or the shock of it. They feel guilty for feeling numb. Um, or they maybe they don't like to go and visit their parents so much if they have Alzheimer's. It's, you know, it's difficult for them. They don't know what to say, but then they feel guilty that they don't like it. Um, and there's a lot of like, people can be torn. Often people Maybe have young kids of their own and a family. Then they have an elderly parent or they have, you know, demanding job. And so they can, you know, there's guilt being torn between all these different roles and maybe never feeling like you're doing anything right. Those are some of the the emotions.
1: Remember that in our program, we present our opinion and the opinion of our guest and is not to be interpreted as medical advice. was a way to help your struggling child perform better academically. Would you pick up the phone and call? Lysol Improvement Occupational Therapy Services in Puyallup, Washington supports wellness and optimal educational performance. Instead of just reteaching information, we endeavor to identify the possible root causes for your child's learning difficulties. We offer targeted testing to assist in the creation of an individualized plan and provide you with the brain training tools that can help improve academic. academic performance. Visit our website at www.lifestyleimprovement.com or give us a call today at 877-957-7387 extension 101. That again is 877-957-7387 extension 101 for an initial free phone consultation. Lifestyle Improvement Occupational Therapy. We're ready to partner with parents and to help your child succeed. As a caregiver, you spend your days caring for the needs of someone else. But what are you doing to help yourself? In our Caregiver Survival 101 workshop, we teach you the self-help skills that will empower you to be healthier and more productive. Do you feel tired, overwhelmed, have difficulty sleeping? Do you feel isolated? All this could be signs of caregiver stress. Chronic stress can impact your health adversely and ultimately cause irreversible and unwanted physical problems. Take a step towards your own personal care. A healthy caregiver is a better caregiver. You owe it to yourself and your loved ones to do what is needed to stay healthy today. Go to wwwcaregiversurvival 101com That again is wwwcaregiversurvival 101com and discover how we can help you help yourself. Or call 877-957-7387-Extension 101. That again is eight seven seven nine. 957 577387 extension 101 caregiver survival 101 because care starts with you
0: thank you so much for joining us here on lifestyle improvement today for part 1 of our interview with Dr. Melanie Greenberg Dr. Greenberg was born in South Africa and experienced living without freedom of speech during the last years of the apartheid era. This made her an advocate to help empower people with the capacity for self-expression. Dr. Greenberg graduated with a doctorate in clinical psychology from Stony Brook University and a postdoctoral research fellowship in health psychology from City University of New York. She worked for more than a decade as a professor in the Clinical Health Psychological Doctoral Program at Alliant University in San Diego, California. She has published more than 50 research articles in journals like The Journal of Personality and Social Psychology, and has been a prominent speaker in many conferences. She has written chapters in books like Positive Psychology, Handbook of Health Psychology, and The Writing Cure. She currently writes for Psychology Today and has a blog titled Mindful Self Express. She's also been named the most prominent psychologist to be followed on Twitter. This was done by the British Psychological Society with almost 50,000 Twitter followers. Her first book is titled The Stress-Proof Brain. This book offers comprehensive tools based on mindfulness, neuroscience, and positive psychology to help readers put a stop to unhealthy responses to stress and to empower the reader with strategies to master their emotional responses and create a more stress-tolerant brain. Please join your host, Rebecca Rogers, again next week for part two of our interview with Dr. Melanie Greenberg.